You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. play too many competitions at our clubs? Is fair use really fair? And did we miss a trick by not freeing golf from gender-based tees when the World Handicap System arrived? We've got Phil Grice, founder of Golf Transition Management, back on the From the Clubhouse podcast. And as always, the industry expert and former Royal Norwich director is shooting straight from the hip. We also covered points memberships and how golf is shaping up as we come out of the pandemic in a lively 40-minute chat. So let's get stuck in. Phil, welcome back to the From the Clubhouse podcast. Great to have you with us. Yeah, nice to be back. Nice to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you come uh, at an interesting time for the golf industry. It looks like, um, I, I don't think we can say the pandemic's over yet, can we? There was, last time I looked, there was 50,000 cases in the UK yesterday. It doesn't feel like it's over to me, but there's a, certainly a shift, uh, especially in government doctrine, about how we are going to move ahead with COVID. And so now after two years of thinking about how golf can move forward um, after the pandemic, in inverted commas, we're, we're finally there. I mean, what position do you think golf's in at the moment? It feels like participation's still buoyant, feels like um, if early renewals are anything to go by that members are sticking around. Um, how do you feel about the state of golf currently? Um, I'm really, really, really positive. Um, it, clearly, the the evidence is there that states roundage has, has been significantly, it's, it's been higher than it's probably ever been. Membership probably across the country is, 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 is as high as it's ever been. Um, it has started to, to level off a little bit and, and we've, we've got to understand that the free lunch that, that COVID has brought golf and it, 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 it's it's been one of the, the benefiting factors our sport has, has brought that you can get outside, you can enjoy camaraderie and and, and be safe on a golf course. It, it's brought that to the fore, which is brilliant. But things will level off. People will move off furlough as they have now done. Flexible working will prove not to be as, as, as productive possibly in some instances and, and that will change. And, and it will normalise. I think it will normalise at that at a much better position than when we went into the pandemic, which is brilliant. And I think you've got this window of opportunity. Um, and it's probably this year that people are still deciding whether they're getting value, whether it's right for them, whether whether joining a club was just, uh, it was handy because you had to get on a booking system and, and all the other bits that we all know as to why people joined. This is the point at which uh, churn this year and next year will be really interesting. I, I believe this year we, we've now got some other uncertainties on, on the horizon, as we all know, with what's happening uh, with, with Russia and Ukraine, which leads to just uncertainty. And what we've had over the last few years is uncertainty. I felt that this year might be the year that the term, I suppose, everybody's going to go to Disney, that the vast majority of people would maybe have their first 
abroad holiday um, that they would want to go to get some sun. They might want to, uh, as I say, literally go to Disney. Um, so them things are are big uh, leisure spends and they're the things that will in time bring us back to normal and whether it's him or her actually start to look at the metrics of whether their membership is 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 value or not whether they've got enough time or not um i do think clubs that have flexible memberships and and are customer focused i think that that they will probably see not a lot of difference um but those that have got rid of booking systems and reverted back to how they were before the pandemic i think that in time to come they might find themselves not a lot further ahead than than they were before it interesting that you you uh plowed straight into online booking so well done for that <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally the first question on my piece of paper um i, I think that the debate about uh, online booking v roll-ups is, is pretty well established now i mean i'm interested in your point of view um but i'm more interested actually in, in getting you to talk about some of the criticisms that people have put forward as to why um online booking is a problem and see if you as someone who um, was the helm of a, a very popular golf club and had to go through this could answer some of these. So, um, some, of the, some of the detractors of online booking say a couple of things. Um, the first is that not everyone has access to the technology. Not everyone wants to use either their smartphone or wants to use a computer and, uh, and therefore online booking disadvantages them in, in some respect. And the other, and this comes up time and time again, is, is the belief uh, among golfers, some golfers, that people can play the online booking system either by getting fractionally quicker on fastest finger first or by block booking, manipulating bookings in groups and then, you know, sort of chuck blocking groups up um, so not everyone can can get a tea time. I mean, so there's a lot there to go through. Firstly, what do you think about online booking v roll-ups? Secondly, the technology issue. And thirdly, people manipulating online bookings. My memory is not good enough to remember them, so you can remind me one at oh, a time. The, the, uh, the, the first one, the fair use policies, um, I'm a massive fan of the fair use policy and, and the clue is in the title. Why wouldn't you want it to be fair? Um, I, I think that they need to evolve and, and you need to be flexible and, and review the policy and make sure uh, by speaking to members uh, through questionnaires, through you know be, being on the front line on a Saturday morning at ten o'clock, getting to understand um, if it's working for everybody and if it and if it's not, the issue that that you that underlies that is if you don't have a flexible membership and and you're inviting everybody into a seven day membership and and you work out that the average age of your club has gone down and and two thirds of them people that have now come in. They represent a high proportion, can only play at weekends. You're, you're selling spaces on a train that you haven't got seats for. So people are not going to get a seat. Um, so that's where off-peak memberships, flexible memberships that encourage people to play um, outside of the time bands. And investigating deeper in, that there's absolutely fair use policies that are the best thing on the planet. But it doesn't work if you just cram everybody on at the same train at the same time um so you you need to 
use the technology that we've got to understand age profiles, to understand playing times, playing habits. Um, and by that, and, you mean online booking, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you've, 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 the technology is actually there for you to start to see, uh, and you can, you can, a little tiny bit of work, but I know that a vast majority of managers did it through the pandemic. They, they started to investigate booking habits and, and they learned so much more about their membership. And, and you'll never get away from the fact that at the vast majority of clubs, probably 5% of the membership play 30% of the golf and then normally around the peak times. So when you're selling a membership, you should have the courage to say you're never going to get on on a Saturday morning between 8 o'clock and 11 because we've already got block bookings. And, and if you've got block bookings like that, then, then you are inviting on a problem. If you sell off-peak memberships, if you sell points-based memberships, you try to drive people into uh, a better balanced uh, set of, times across the day then you're much less likely to, to run into the problems and, and, I, and I do come back to there's a percentage of the membership that will shout the loudest because things have changed and they don't like it but actually um, they're not always representative if you do some proper surveys they're not always representative of the majority of the club one of the biggest reasons that people will leave a club is you know, they don't get value from the membership and that's because you know you're possibly that example of you got a young family you work monday to friday your window of opportunity at the weekend is limited and when you turn up and you see guys that maybe are retired and they've played twice that week and they've hogged them tea times because they tell you that they play in in the swindle that keeps the club alive um that, that's that's why you end up becoming a nomad or you move about or you you end up on a flexible membership at two or three clubs where you can find a tea time to, to suit. And, you know, we, what we have to ask, which is really interesting, is, is where did all these people come from and why did they join? You know, there, there's so many people come into it. These people are always, they've always been on the periphery. They've always been on the periphery. It was only when they couldn't get a tea time that they chose to join. I just sincerely hope that the golf industry's sat up and realized these new customers that have come in are they, they are the future and 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 we should adapt you know if if i said to you should you know should we should go out with our wives and go to the pictures would we phone up the picture house and and actually book it that way or would we go online and book it everybody's booking online for for everything so i would i would push back and say those that don't have the technology are absolutely in the minority uh, and it, and if you looked at them uh, numbers. It's not an argument that are, that that would warrant me stifling my business to to to, to accommodate somebody who doesn't have that technology. I, I think that at clubs you would have to acknowledge that one or two people don't, and you should maybe put something in place for that. You introduce every fifth tea time can only be booked over the telephone, uh, and and you know the age profile of that person that maybe wants some tea times and whatnot. Just apply some common sense to it. And, and on just on the people who uh, apparently play the system, manipulate it, can somehow block book lots of times and block other people out, and um, maybe can they get on the software slightly quicker? I mean, is that a thing in your experience? Is this just it, a couple of people? It, 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 it is a thing, that it, but it's, a, it, it's not the huge thing. 
I think that the fundamental comes back to how your fair use policy is set up and, and every club should should operate under a transparent model. Um, and probably one of the best fair uses I've heard is where you can only have a certain amount of bookings on the system at any one time. Um, which well, means that, so why don't you talk about it? <laughs> um, yeah, well, it, there is a perception that if you're only allowed, say, four games on the system over, a, say, a 12 or 14 day period or whatever, whatever the club choose, that that's you're restricting people to that's what they want to they can play. It's not. It's actually just meaning because it's incredibly rare uh, and I've not seen it. That, that I would look at a day and I can't find a tea time. It might not be the tea time I want. But what I'd be arguing with is, well, that means you've got four tea times on the system already. So as a fair use policy, maybe that fifth tea time or maybe when you come to book that, maybe you do have to go at a slightly later time. Um, why should any any one denomination of members get to go fast as finger first and, and always be able to to book them time. So if you come back to limiting how many times somebody can have on the system, it doesn't mean that you can't play every day of the week. It just means that when you come to book that fifth tee time, um, one, you'll be more considered. And secondly, you, you are much more likely to, to end up possibly a later time, possibly an earlier time. But it, it comes back to it being fair for everybody. If you can have as many tee times on the system as you want, well, categorically those that we talk about that that abuse the system will find a way of abusing the system and you reach a point that that with all of these things golf then goes oh it doesn't work we've tried it doesn't work you just didn't you didn't face up to the the challenge that you had with with one minority maybe maybe trying to dominate it and 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 you didn't deal with um the tensions that that brought you can do that and, and i say you can't allow you know, uh, a group of a swindle of twenty guys to dominate the peak tea times across your business. That's that, that that's madness. You know, it has to be fair and transparent for everybody in the club. Yeah. Let Let me give you a bridge into points memberships because I do want to talk about that because obviously you know quite a lot about them and you're implementing them at clubs that you're involved with as a golf club. Uh, consultant, do you, do you think there needs to be a differentiation now between peak and off-peak? Because one of the things when you talk about fair use is pe people who, who will criticise will say, well, you know, it's millionaires golf here on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, but it obviously isn't is it on uh, at some clubs anyway, on a Saturday and a Sunday between nine o'clock and three o'clock, for example. I mean, do you, at the moment, seven-day use for me at my golf club means I can basically go out pretty much any time I like, really, within reason. I mean, obviously, there are some book tea times, there are some roll-up tea times in there as well. But but theoretically, I mean, I can sort of play with that membership whenever I want to. Should that be the case, in your view, or should I have to pay for a peak membership or an off-peak membership like I do in a gym? And how does this sort of lead us into the whole points debate? Um, I, I would come at it... Um from a sustainability point of view. And, and some people will see through my sustainability statement and go, you're just being commercial. But but commercial is 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 sensible, whether you're a private members club and you want to make a surplus or you're a, a, a proprietary club and you want to make a profit. Um, golf 
has massively suffered over the time from a race to the bottom on discounted green fees, which mean memberships themselves uh, don't hold anywhere near as much value uh, as, as they should do, which then means that we pretend like depreciation doesn't happen, which means we don't reinvest in the club because we're not bringing enough money in. And, you know, that that's a synopsis very quickly. You, you have a scenario that the average golf club will churn out probably thirty to 35,000 rounds of golf in a year. Um, somewhere along the line, they'll lose it 8 to 10% of their membership. Um, they'll feel disgruntled or they'll move on and different things. And what you've got to look at is them, the tee times that are available to you are, if you imagine them as seats on a train, trains going back and forward to wherever it's going on a daily basis, you've got X amount of tee times. I think there's capacity with daylight hours. I looked on a tea system the other day. So if you maximise every daylight hour and, and put four hours into uh, a game of golf, you could get 80,000 people on a golf course. So it, it gives you the opportunity is 20,000 tea times. Um, now, depending on how many people, that, that's if you were to operate on 100%. Um, you wouldn't do it because it would destroy the golf course. And as you say, most golf courses, certainly members clubs, you turn up at one o'clock on a Tuesday, you'd have to question why there's nobody there. You have to question three o'clock on a Friday afternoon why there's nobody there. Um, and, and for that, these are these tea times are never coming back. They're an opportunity whether you have a member on them, you have a points member, or, or you have a green fee out there. So you come right back to the fact that if you're going to sell 34, you're going to use, say, 35,000 games of golf, um, which is the optimum number before any greenkeeper will tell you before the golf course starts to wear. And, and in some clubs, it's slightly less, and, and, and others will do 40,000 rounds, and, and they'll be fine. But if we go with 35,000 rounds, as, as the custodian, as the general manager, as the president, the owner of the golf club, whoever it is, you've got to bring in the best yield you can for them rounds of golf. Um, and whether we like it or not, there is a nomadic golfer who wants to play different courses all the time. They, they don't mind paying green fees. And I think there's been a shift in the last probably 10 years that that nomadic golfer started to yearn a little bit to be a member of a club. So the, but they might not want to commit their thousand, fifteen hundred, two grand a year, whatever it is, on a full membership because they still like to play at other clubs. Um, and these are brilliant opportunities to look at the off-peak times, uh, to look at times out of the 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 normal what we would deem as peak because peak is peak is deemed when you're busy. Um, and in truth, for me. Um, if I was going to take up a membership, ironically, I set up systems and peak is normally, you know, eight to seven thirty till maybe ten o'clock. Mid time is 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 ten till maybe half eleven, twelve, and then off peak at this time of year is, is after that time. Well, ironically, my peak time would be after twelve o'clock. I wouldn't want to play first thing in the morning. It wouldn't work for me. Um, but we deem the peak times to be the morning times because. At the risk of being ageist, and I'm really not, I'm just pointing fact, your retired community turn up first thing in the morning and want them times. And 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 they are 
um, a, a chunk of membership who, you know, can play on a regular basis and they play a disproportionate amount of golf. Um, and, and what they do is they force to a certain degree the, the cost of membership up proportionately for people who only want to play 30, 35 times a year. And, you know, we, we mustn't forget that the national average, I think before the pandemic was 31 rounds a year, a member played. And I think through the pandemic, I read somewhere it's gone up to 36. So when you look at a member and he's barking at you because he wants to play uh, 100 rounds a year and he can't get the tee times, when you work back your yield as to what you bring in, he would be, you know, um, one of your worst performing members, you know, from a yield point of view. Uh, and ultimately, if you really want to have good facilities and you want to grow the business, um, just conforming and just adhering to those who in in essence are your worst you know performing customers is kind of nothing short of madness so for me i would i would be properly looking at how you can encourage people into the times that, that just always sit empty and, and that is your point system um whether you have it in isolation whether you have it supporting it really is just attracting a band of a customer who is um is, is a much more modern customer nowadays um, than than an old school customer, as I would deem it. Well, I mean, what about the argument that, that these players have paid their dues? They may have been a member of the club for 30, 40 years. You know, they've done their times where they couldn't play all the time and they've, you know, they've been working and now, now it's their time to sort of get the benefits of all the money that they've invested into the club over the years. Um, yeah, that, that that investment hasn't been free, though, has it? That investment, they have had a return on that investment, whether it's golf or, or anything else. And, and I totally accept that. Um, you know, for me, I come back to, and we've, we've maybe mentioned this before when we've been chinwagging outside of this, is this is where your statistics, your information is, is absolutely vital. Um, I'm working with a club at this moment in time, and, and, and I won't name the club and embarrass them, but the GM there over the last five years, he's brought the average age down by about, I think it's 11 years, you know, by offering slightly more flexible memberships. It's not impacted at all on the peak tea times because he's brought a flexible membership in that supports. They're a really traditional, brilliant run, but really traditional uh, private members club. And they've just looked at where the opportunity lies. They've not, they've not rocked the status quo. Um, but what they've done is they, they've understood that actually there is a, there is a, a world of people out there who kind of like what they want or what they have, sorry, but they don't want to commit the twelve or thirteen hundred pound a year because they can't see the value in that. But actually, what they are happy to do is commit four or five hundred pound into, you know, a flexible system that means that when they want to go up at three o'clock in the afternoon, they can. The evidence, which is really really interesting is it's not quite double, but it's really close to double what the uh, secondary spend is on that points, that younger member that, that's come in, um, which has a huge knock-on effect. So suddenly, one of the issues you have is at a golf club, as you know, is food, hospitality, that side of things. It's never really worth opening up in a peak time because people just go from the car park to the tea. There's no point opening up in the afternoon because everybody's gone home and there's nobody going out. Uh, and and the facilities and service sort of drift away. What's been brilliant to see through the pandemic 
is because courses have been busier, that, that food and hospitality has grown, that, it, that has infected the fact that there's a better feeling around the place, there's better service, there's, there's fresher food, there's more food, there's camaraderie right throughout the day. Um, but it has led people to look into, you know, how much value you get back from these, uh, the various communities. And if you can be, if you can age profile your membership, and you know that, that one, of the, one of the last venues I was involved with, we, we set ourselves a target that 10% of the club would be juniors, that 15% of the club would be 19 to 30. Then we went from 30 to 50, 50 to 65 and 65 and above. And we, we did a split and, and, and it wasn't that, that we stopped any memberships in them areas, but what we looked at is there was a profile of maybe our 19 to 30s. We didn't have the, 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 the 15% of them that we wanted. So we went out and we marketed in areas that we thought they would be to, to bring them in. And knowing that their playing habits and what they want is not to play Monday to Friday at eight o'clock in the morning. They're not actually bothered, some of them, about getting their first thing in the morning um, on, on a Saturday. They were quite happy to, to play at one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So it was, it was just trying a little bit harder to understand your customer needs and wants um, and then trying to track them. Let me play devil's advocate for a moment and ask you about revenue that, that comes from points membership. I mean, obviously, if you're on a points membership and you're playing less frequently, it, it, it might be better for you financially. I mean, it depends whether you use your points or not, I suppose. If you don't use those, it'll cost you what it costs you. Um, is is there the worry, though, that for those people who do want to play lots, and, and you did talk about the retired community, that they might be disproportionately affected in, in a revenue situation by a points membership, because obviously the more that you play, the more it's going to cost you. Uh, yeah, yes, if it's done badly, in a nice way, that one of the things you come back to, that uh, you can be more relaxed about the, the your peak time is, um, your peak peak time is probably eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday till, um, Till say 10 10 30 and then you work away from that that you know your most off peak time is is one o'clock on a on a tuesday wednesday thursday friday so if your scalability is is and you've managed it properly they're paying less points through the week um if they're prepared to go off at 10 o'clock and and not you know demanding eight o'clock in the morning then the points tallies drop down significantly so it's setting it up to work that way, and I'm I'm not saying um, every venue has a a different set of objectives. My view for the vast majority would be that look at the quiet times that you've got and and, and try and understand why you're not filling them. Um, your peak times are already there, so uh, advocating that uh, a, a private members venue go all points is probably not where they need to be when they've already got probably a healthy membership. You're looking at filling in the gaps and creating essentially a customer journey um, that, that you go from a green fee, which is your highest yield, to a points-based system, which is your second highest yield, um, to invariably a, a, an inclusive membership, which across the board is normally your lowest yield. Um, and there's more security in it but it is your your lowest yield um 
but one of the venues I was involved in, we, we knew that of the 30,000 member rounds that we were putting out there, that 20,000 would be inclusive membership and and 10,000 would be uh, a points-based membership, crudely. Um, and we fully expected over the first five years of that being in place for that to switch around because we knew that people coming in disproportionately didn't want to buy an inclusive membership. The three quarters to four fifths wanted to actually buy the points based system. So it was obvious over a period that the rounds were going to switch and you would probably end up with 10,000 uh, inclusive rounds and, and 20,000 points based rounds. Well, in truth, the yield significantly changes for the, the income on the golf club. And at the end of the day, you've still got 30,000 members rounds that you've got a much bigger membership because the proportion of members that are playing the points, they're not looking to play, as I touched on, 100 plus rounds a year. They're looking, if, if you call it 25, so you can have four of them to, to one inclusive. Well, when they come up, it, it's a treat. It's, you know, so you've got a much wider membership base to pull on from your functions, from your, your various different events that you might want to put on. And as I come back to you and I know if we were going to play golf, me and you tomorrow, we wouldn't pull up in the car park, walk to the first tee and go straight home. We haven't seen each other for a while. We'd have a coffee before we went out. We'd probably have a bite to eat when we come back in because it is a treat to us because we've got a family to come home to and, and we can't do it five days a week. If we're doing it four or five days a week, we couldn't afford to be doing that. So we would, you know, we would be in that cup of tea brigade. Yeah, let's let's move on to another thing that, that obviously impacts on peak time golf, particularly during the season, um, which is competitions. Uh, let me ask you plainly, uh, do clubs hold too many competitions? Uh, I think yes. Again, if, if uh, and this is, you go back to the statistics, my my dealings with, with many clubs and, and speaking to hundreds of GMs is understanding that there is a, there's a, a minority of people who play in lots and lots of competitions than a sprinkling of people who play in some competitions. And for me, it would be one, I, would, I think competitive golf is, is a good thing. I think overly competitive golf is, is, is not a healthy thing for a club because that, that, that banner or that group of members tell you that it's the be all and end all of the club. And, and I come back to everything, Steve, is about creating balance. It's it's about finding that you know you 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 pick call it one competition a month your trophy competitions your board cup whatever clubs call them and let's make them a bit special but actually beyond that start to really investigate what proportion of your members really truly in, in playing these competitions and and that's not to get trying to get everybody into them it's not trying to get everybody out of them but just have fun competitions just you know. Um, have mixed competitions, have, have open competitions that, that run all day so that me and you want to play at three o'clock in the afternoon. That's that's not an issue. We're not excluded. Um, and, and don't be, you know, I've, I've, I've had over my time a huge amount of members leave clubs that I've been at because the amount of competitions mean that they they are disadvantaged because they they don't want to play competitive golf. And there'll be loads of people, there'll be a percentage of people listening to this today who go, well, they should you know disappear they should go and do they don't but but why should you know when you've got a situation now with being able to put cards in with the, the world handicap and all the different things I, I play with a group of guys 
at the weekend and everything from GMs to, to head greenkeepers. We were up at Thorpe Ness and, and they love to dot about. They, they, they've all got handicaps, but they won't play more than one or two competitions a month. And then they, they do it in a, a kind of swindle format that, you know, they like to go away. So there is a huge amount of um, choices. And I think golf clubs do, as a rule, have too many competitions in too many peak times. And they'd, and I wouldn't say get rid of them. I'd say review them, make them more open, make them more inclusive, make certain things biannually so that it makes it a little bit more exclusive and better to do. And, and, and be as inclusive as you can. Make sure that that percentage of the membership who don't seem to be taking part, give them a reason to take part. You know, one of the things we touched on uh, early was nine holes, nine hole competitions. Uh, I know we were just on the warm up, but that's all to do with time. That's the, the, the reason there's more people playing nine holes is because that's all they've got time for. So why not bring in some nine hole competitions? Why wouldn't you? You know what? You know, it was yours, but once a month, absolutely it's you you look at when we unlocked from the first pandemic and the vast majority of golf clubs went to two loops of nine and restricted most people to nine holes just to get them out onto the golf course and i've never ever seen a happier group of people people it actually forced people to play nine holes where they'd normally play 18 and in actual fact it seemed to it seemed to affect loads of them loved it loads of them loads of them loved it now i know not every golf course um, is set up for that so that that can be a little bit of a pushback but you, you know you can get double if you had a nine or competition on a saturday morning you could physically get twice as many people into that competition now that is inclusive it's progressive and it's inclusive i'm not saying you do it every saturday and there'll be those that go well i want to do my thing well that's because they're being selfish you know you introduce something like that it's, it's the statistics are pointing towards people like it so why wouldn't you do it, even if it's once a month, and just see how popular it is? I, I was trying to think of what an average competition schedule in peak season, sort of middle of summer, might look like. And and I think listeners will tell me if I'm wrong. But um, I mean, I, I sort of scheduled it as monthly medal, Sunday medal, probably one board comp, maybe two, a Sunday Stableford or a Saturday Stableford, um, a, mi a midweek medal, a midweek Stableford. Um, maybe another, you know, if, if clubs are holding nine hole competitions, and I do know that there are some out there that are doing so in peak season, maybe a nine hole competition there once a month as well. So, I mean, I love comps, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I adore competitions. I'd, put, I'd, I'd play in all of them if I could. It might bankrupt me to do so. But that that's a, that is a very full schedule. And I suppose the point you're making is you can understand why at, at weekends, social golfers who don't particularly want to play in, in a lot of competitions, but might actually represent, say, two-thirds of membership, would feel they're getting squeezed. Yeah. And the other thing, Steve, I'll tell you, which which has just come to mind, if you were doing a, a nine-hole competition on a Saturday, and you said, all day, all day this Saturday, it's nine holes, competition, your clubhouse is twice as busy, you physically got eight people coming off the course every 10 minutes, as opposed to four. Um, because we're only up there for two hours, I'm much more likely to have a breakfast with you because when I'm actually out for four hours and other things, I'm, I'm, I am time precious. So from a commercial point of view, if I owned a golf course, it'd be the first thing I do is bring once a month, I bring that in. And I tell you what, within no time, people would be voting with their feet and saying, this is actually, you know, once a month, this is actually really great. You know, because you are making sure that you're, you're 
you're supplying golf to twice as many people. Um, we all know, uh, you know, that the benefits of a 2T system um, are that for a window, the golf club has twice as many people in, so the atmosphere is always nice. The downside is then for the next two hours, you have nobody in, you know, so it, 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 it shoots itself in the foot. In truth, what you're talking about, what we touched on earlier, 9-0 competition just once a month, um, I think is is nothing short of genius. I think it would, I think clubs would be blown away by how popular it would be. Yeah, let's talk about participation then. Um, finally, and um, and 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 equality on the golf course as well. Um, this is starting to change. I think I was um, uh, I, I was a judge for. Um, for a recent event, and I was uh, I, I was struck by the number of clubs who talked to me about opening their competitions up um, to mixed, rather than say all male, all male or all female. Um, you know, they would they would now be having a, a, a competition on a weekend that was mixed. Do you think we're going to see more of this? Is this a trend that's only likely to increase? I understand why some people are reluctant. There's history and there's tradition, and 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 perhaps. Um, you know, on both sides, uh, the, the, the two genders like to play separately in sport. That's a common theme across sport. Um, but, but do you think that this is likely to just accelerate in the future? Uh, absolutely. It, it, is, it is already happening. Um, if, if you get away from some of the traditions um, and I come back to people will always take the extreme of what you say. If you turn around and said, well, a third of our competitions will be for the men and a third of our competitions will be for the women and a third of our competitions are going to be for everybody. I'm absolutely convinced in no time you would be scaling back some of the other competitions, the men's and, and, and the women's, because you would actually see the participation. Why wouldn't you? And and with World Handicap and, and, and you know, I won't point a finger at any of the bodies and stuff like that, but what an opportunity has been missed. To, to remove red, yellow and white. What a hideous mistake I think has been made. Um, golf courses should be played from any length, um, as we now have, moving, removing red, yellows and whites. And I know there's a tradition and, and maybe bodies didn't feel it was their place to tell clubs, but actually um, allowing you to play off the course that you want, allowing you to play in competitions with each other, it's it is such a unique opportunity, and apart from possibly darts and maybe snooker, um, what other sport do you have a level playing field for for men and women uh, and juniors? Don't get me wrong. Um, what a phenomenal opportunity has been missed for us to open up and to try and quash. Um, you, you've heard me speak historically. I used to take the, the Mickey out of cricket because I'm not a cricket fan because it's so bland they all wear white and you don't even know which team is which and they do it over five days and all the daft stuff I have a little routine because I think it's and these people have absolutely turned their game on its head you know with 2020 they've added razzmatazz and they've made it something now that I've gone from I have no interest in cricket to if there's a bit of 2020 or something on, I'll actually watch it um, so I, what should they have done then I mean um, you know, I mean, I, you obviously talked about this hideous mistake. Why, why do you think it was a mistake and what should they have done? Because it was, it, was, it was such a step change and it was such an opportunity that if they'd looked round the corner in removing the traditional red, yellows and whites, 
you you then move away from the stigma that the women are at the front because you know you're not telling me a 23 handicapped man is better than a three handicapped girl or a three handicapped woman it, it's, it's so so why why do you get to play off bigger tees and further back why do i doff my cap to you you know and actually from an equalities point of view creating a level playing field in golf would have been fantastic you know you can see at the top end they're trying to do it on the tours they're trying to bring uh, the women and the men together and, and stuff like that there's you know um it, it it was such a brilliant opportunity for us to to take a not just one step forward two maybe three steps forward and and encourage clubs openly you know and don't get me wrong there is I think there's 10% of clubs have done it on their own. 10% of clubs have gone out there and gone, right, we're doing away with the colours. And actually, if somebody wants to play off a, a 6,000-yard course, a 6.5 or, or a 5.2, that's their option. They've done away with the stigma around the tees. But it, it just from a participation point of view, it, it puts us as, as the one of the most unique sports where everybody can play together. And it comes back to... You know, uh, I know Martin and the guys at the RNA, they, they, they are really doing a brilliant job trying to drive women's participation. I just think that it, it, it's all about the family. It, it's not about women. It's not about men. It's about everybody. It's absolutely everybody. So so for me, um, I just love the, the concept of having a club where the barriers are virtually gone. And that doesn't mean that you don't have you know, men's competitions. It doesn't mean that you don't have ladies' competitions, uh, women's competitions. But it, 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 it for me, I, I would have 80% of the club as, as, as an open forum that, that all of that is gone. All of that old tradition, that that stuff is gone. It doesn't mean to say that you destroy your heritage, but, but the future is in front of us. Everything else is in the rearview mirror and, and we should be learning. And, and, and as I come back to, cricket has learned. It hasn't destroyed the five-day game. It's actually made it stronger, you know. It's 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 adapted and and it's it's changed and and golf enforced a handicap system that 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 presented an opportunity, um, and and I think because within our our world there is no true governing body that that actually um, directs everything that happens because it's kind of dissected down. Um, they just maybe didn't feel it was their place to, to make that change. I would have encouraged the life out of it because I think it's a, a huge opportunity that's been missed. Yeah, yeah. finally, we've, we've talked obviously about um, some of the challenges that uh, await golf uh, over the next uh, year or two. And we've also talked about some of the opportunities as well and, and some of the things that, that could be done. I mean, how, how do you feel about, I ask you this question, it seems every time you're on the podcast and, how do you feel about golf now? I mean, how is it looking moving into this, let's hope, uh, post-pandemic era? Uh, I'm incredibly excited. I, if you if you set golf as as a silo and you broke it into four sections, that the top 25, the bottom 25, I think that the top 25% of golf venues are absolutely knocking it out of the ballpark. They've adapted, they've changed, they're, they've, they've been innovative, they've been progressive. I, I was at Bachelor Park the other day looking at the driving range and I've got to say is 
I'm two hours away and it makes me want to go down and hit balls down there. I mean, it's it's funky. It just I could get I could get my girls who are not really golfers. I could get them to to fall in love with it down there. Um, there's innovation everywhere and it's brilliant. I think that the bottom fifty percent of the industry um, is nearly taken the free lunch and and um, accepted that they've got new membership. They've got they've had some good income. Um, golf courses have got better because they've had a little bit of rest and all them sort of things, and they're just going to carry on as normal. Um, and and that is a crying shame. And then I see that 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 group from probably fifty percent to seventy five percent up up the silo. Um, they they want to change. That they, they're you know I, I've never been busier. You know with people going. We want to implement change. We we want to grow. We want to look at this. And that doesn't mean that they have to revolutionise their business. You know, some people want a revolution, others want an evolution. Um, and and I, I think that you know, realistically, the top fifty percent of golf is is in a good place because it's either already there or it's wanting to go there. Um, I think I feel slightly sad actually for the bottom fifty percent that they've just gone back to where they were before. They've removed booking systems and 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 gone back to the old ways and. That that's a shame. It's a real shame. But I also think that golf is it's breaking down some great barriers at this moment in time, albeit too slowly, but it's breaking down barriers. So it's the the direction of travel is really good. I just you know would love to see us not moving dog years. You know, in moving real time, you know, would be great. Brilliant. Uh, great to see you, uh, Phil. Great to hear from you again. Take care in the future. Thanks for joining us yeah. on the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much.